Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 189 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, we talked about this last week a little bit when I had Gina McLean and Jessica Beeler on the podcast, and we're going to go there again today. This is the personal side of leadership, which I am convinced is what sinks leaders more than anything else, because you know what? You can be the smartest guy in the room. You can have an education. You can educate yourself. You can, you know, you can be bright. But if you can't make the personal journey, like if you, if you kind of get burned or uh, you don't know how to avoid the discouragement and the challenges of leadership, uh, you're not going to make it as a leader. That's true in church. That's true in business. And it's often those emotional, personal issues, uh, which are really spiritual issues that that sink us. And so uh, today, I'm so grateful that my friend Rusty George is back on the podcast, and we are going to talk about trust. We spend a lot of time talking about this, and this is one of those cases where like, all of a sudden, I felt like he was reading my mail, and I'm like, oh, I have done that. You'll, you'll kind of hear it in, in the interview. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. I found it really helpful, and I hope you do too, no matter what you lead. I'm pretty excited uh, before we jump into the interview about some travel that's coming up. While you are listening to this, I am uh, in Guatemala with Compassion. Love the work that they do there. And then I'm spending the month of May in Australia and New Zealand. And I know a vast majority of listeners to this podcast are in the U.S. of A. And we love America. Uh, Also, lots of Canadian listeners. But the next nations are Australia, New Zealand. And so I have the privilege of spending most of the month of May in Australia and New Zealand. And I want to tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in Melbourne the weekend of May 5th and 6th. Then May 7th, we are off to Adelaide. May 9th, the Gold Coast in Brisbane. And uh, then I wind up in Perth at Riverview Church. So you can go to Crossway Church's website, to Riverview's website for the top and tail of the Australia leg of the tour. And if you want to get in on the leadership events in Adelaide and on the Gold Coast, go to willowcreek.org.au and check out Global Leadership Summit Plus. That's what I'm speaking under. Would love to have you join us. Then it's off to New Zealand with Leadership Works, and you can find out information about that tour at Leadership Works, that's works with an X, not a KS, but an X.org slash NZ events. So that's Leadership Works with an X.org dot NZ slash events. And I'm going to be in Hamilton. I'm going to be at Christchurch. In, and that's actually not a church, that's a city. I'm really excited about being there. Wellington and also in Dunedin. So, and again, that's not Florida for those of you who are Blue Jay fans. That's New Zealand. Uh, really super excited to be in New Zealand. So in Hamilton, Christchurch, Wellington, and Dunedin, May 13th to May 17th. And then my wife and I are going to sit back and actually enjoy the South Island and pretend that we're in Lord of the Rings. How does that sound? Now, here's one of the questions for you. When a leader travels like that, how does everything run? Like you're going to get this podcast where, wherever I am in the world. And that's because I have a team. And one of the ways I've built my team 
is because of Belay Solutions. So you can go to belaysolutions.com slash carry. That's B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. I'll tell you more about it, but I got to tell you, I have a podcast manager, all of my speaking engagements, this entire trip uh, to Australia and New Zealand, which was highly complicated to set up, all done through my team. And, uh, you know, of course, I have some input into it, but uh, I'll tell you, that's how you get more done. You focus on what only you can do and get a team. Now, the good news is if you're in a small church, you're like, I don't know that I can afford it. They start at 10 hours a week. And I mean, everybody from Damon John, Michael Hyatt, myself, many other leaders use Belay Solutions right down to pastors of small churches, startups, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, all of us are in this together and they can help. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for help to multiply your leadership, go to belaysolutions.com slash carry and find out what they can do for you today. Well, without much further ado, here is a powerful conversation I had with Rusty George. Well, Rusty, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you. Well, thank you, Gary. It's great to be back. I'm a, uh, a big fan, listen to you all the time. So it's an honor to be on one more time. Long-time listener, not a first-time caller, though. That's right. That's right. I don't have well, to get my height weight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we we get to do community of a sorts, don't we? Because we're uh, both part of the North Point Network, and we're on a call. So you and me and Ben and Matt in Ohio, we all kind of hang out virtually <laughs> via right. Zoom. Uh, once a month, sometimes more, and then we get together. Community is a pretty important part of our lives, I know. It really is. And it's been uh, an interesting ride to see how that can be done virtually as well and build friendships that way, more than just uh, Facebook and social media outlets, but through the Zoom calls and Skype and all those kind of things. It uh, creates a new level of community. You know, it's interesting. People ask me all the time. They say, what do you love about being a North Point partner, like in that family? Mm. And I mean, the model's great. Getting access to Andy's teaching is fantastic. We love all that stuff. But I would say probably the secret sauce is community. Right. I would agree. I often tell people, because I'm not part of a denomination, that it's like all of the benefits of a denomination I never, I never had. Mm. Uh, there's so many people um, and there's great connections, you learn from each other, and yet it's all based around this common mentality of we all have a heart for unchurched people. Yeah, and that's weird because, I mean, there'd be a lot of leaders listening, church leaders, who would say, no, I'm part of a denomination, but I don't feel that camaraderie. <laughs> Is mm, that typical in your experience? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably true, and I, I would assume that is some of, of their experience. But I think when the denominations began, it, at the heart of it was this idea of let's do build community and share from each other and learn from each other and maintain the same, uh, not only theology, but also mission. Um, and I think at the heart of it, that's what North Point Partnership has provided for us. Uh, and we love it. All of our leaders love it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've said exactly the same thing. I don't know, you know, we've only experienced denominations in our day. But I'm pretty sure that you go back centuries to, you know, John Wesley and the original Methodists or Calvin and Knox and the original Reform or Presbyterians. It was much a network as it was a way of thinking. And right. people who were committed to the same cause and to similar models and, and everything mm -hmm. like that. So anyway, you've written a new book, a brand new book on community. Um, tell me, why did you decide to write on that of all the things you could write about? 
<laughs> well, I think it came from, first of all, I've read a lot of books on community and I always find them fascinating, but maybe you wonder why would the world need another one of these? And yeah. I think it became, <laughs> I think it came from the fact that I'm a pastor. I have pastor friends and we often share messages with each other. And the question I get emailed to me the most is, do you have any messages on getting people into community, whether mm -hmm. it's small groups or care groups or, you know, recovery groups? And the answer I always ha have had and others have had is no. We try yeah. to, we kind of put it into our messages. It makes the announcements, but we don't have a lot of great sermons or messages on the value of community and how to practice community. So I thought, well, what if we put something together for that that we could use as a church and then it kind of evolved from there. And the more I began to dig into it, the more I began to realize that the issue of community has been an ongoing struggle for me. And I, I recognize as as church leaders, that there's really two kinds of church leaders, those who were born introverts and those who become introverts. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it I'd seems be like the second the, category. Oh, exactly. It seems like the, the bigger your organization gets or the bigger your church gets, the more introverted you become. And I've always been an introvert, but I've noticed that as our church has grown, I get even uh, almost scared of crowds and people because they all want something and they all have a complaint. And so if I'm not careful, what I noticed in my life was I had basically what I called, you know, drive-by community. Uh, yeah. I, I'd walk really fast through the auditorium. I'd shake hands. I'd have two or three questions. Oh, I got to keep moving. And I noticed this at the end of a Sunday, I'd go home and I'd feel tired, but I felt like I met a lot of people and talked to a lot of people. But then I'd go to an event at maybe somebody's house, or maybe it's a, a party or something. And I think, I have no reason to keep running here. <laughs> yeah. I have to stand still, which means I have to carry on conversations. And they weren't going very deep because I had a real disconnect when it came to community. And I just was kind of scared about other people and what they might want or need. Uh, because as the tagline is, you know, people are drama and life is crazy. So why mix the two? Yeah. Uh, so from that... <laughs> From that, I, I really began to wrestle with the role of community in my life, which kind of rewound my life a little bit. I started thinking about the downward spiral I had a few years ago. Certain people had left our church. I, I felt like they were disloyal. I was brokenhearted. And out of the pain in my life, I, I kind of went through every option you could to figure out how to fix it uh, physically, mentally, uh, prescription drugs, whatever it might take. And I found the one key ingredient I was missing was community. I want to unpack that for a little bit. You said so much in like three minutes, Rusty. I think we could park out for the full hour on there because you read a lot of people's biographies. So I went into ministry as an extrovert. Uh, 23 years later, I'm definitely an introvert. Or at least, you know what? No, when I do the test, I still come out as an E, an extrovert. Um, but one who is living in the skin of an introvert, I would say. And, and I think one of the key tests, would you say, I mean, you've studied this more than me, but one of the key tests is how you recharge. Like, right. do you recharge with people or away from people? 100%, right. I, I recharge away from people. Well, and that's, that's where I was as well, and that's what I think is typical. Uh, the problem with that is, is for those of us who are in leadership, 
we we just are around people so much or enough that we find ourselves fantasizing about being alone. How can I get away from everybody? How can I um, just go out and drive? How can I get to the mountains, go camping by myself, whatever it is? We begin to that becomes so alluring to us. And the danger with that is if you have too much of that, that's where leaders really make mistakes. That's where you have David, you know, kind of wandering around on the rooftop looking into people's houses. That's where you have leaders surfing the Internet alone and making bad decisions. Um, That isolation, while good to some degree because you recharge alone, it cannot be consistent. It can't be constant. There has to be some level of community that also refills you. Yeah, you know, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, you're touching on a live issue in my life right now in the early part of 2018. Since I've transitioned, you know, into the founding pastor role, I spend less time in meetings, which at first was amazing. It's still kind of amazing, to be honest with you. Right. Um, and, and more time alone. And we just happen to be in a season where we're not in a community group. And actually, we just, at first I took a break. Uh, and then I'm like, let's get into one, and it just didn't form. And I've had a couple of people really close to me, including my wife and, uh, you know, sort of my inner circle who went, dude, you're not seeing enough real people. And, like, I talk to people all day, but, you know, I think it's good to have a break from people. But what you're saying totally resonates. We threw a dinner party last night at our place. We have another one tonight. And, you know, my job is Big Green Egg. It's the best job in the world. But anyway... It's funny, I could almost feel the life for a guy who's become an introvert come back into my bones as our house was full of people and laughter and, you know, and it's not like I don't see people. I see people every day. We had, you know, lots of people on the weekend. I travel, I meet people, but it's, there's, there's people and then there's your people. And I think there's a difference. I think you, you touch on something there that's really key for introverts is if you're going to be around people, have a job. You know, your job was to cook at the big green egg. And I think for introverts, if they have a role in a crowded room, whether that's serving coffee or playing the music or greeting at the door, it creates a little bit of a safe barrier for them. And what really freaks us introverts out is when we're just thrust into a room and we feel like prey thrown before the lions and we don't know what am I supposed to do? How long am I supposed to be here? Uh, What's the win in this? It can be difficult. And you found your win. Yeah, you know, which is so weird to even hear you say about that. Welcome, by the way, Dr. Rusty George is in. Uh, he's therapizing all of us today, so thank you, doctor. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> this is good. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's interesting because that is still new behavior for me as a mostly extrovert all of my life. Usually I love those crowds, and I'm a little bit agoraphobic um, mm-hmm. after all these years in ministry. And having a role or having something to do is actually helpful, mm-hmm. uh, whether that is the dishes or, you know, to make the steak or whatever it happens to be. Um, right. Now, you've, you've been, you are a native introvert, so that's always mm-hmm. been your story, Rusty? It has, and I didn't really even understand extrovert, introvert until I got into college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just always felt less than. I, my closest friends growing up were extroverts and I would see them work a room, ask girls out, be the life of the party. And I think I can't do that. And if I tried, it just seemed awkward. So 
I don't think I understood it until I was in college and somebody put us through someone. I think it was Myers-Briggs. And I began to get some categories for who I am. And that's okay. Um, And it gave me some handles on how to think about how I relate to people. And and I do need some downtime and I do recharge alone. So having some ideas of how to put that together helped out a lot. And some permission, not just to always feel the pressure to be uh, Bob Goff, who we'd all like to be. (laughs) But I know I just can't. Oh, he, he is, is a crazy extrovert, party. man. He is. Oh, exactly. I mean, I don't know his profile, but like just in the time I've spent with Bob, he is like, ah, you know, literally his arms. It's just like what you see on Instagram. His arms are always open. Um, are. So just because, you know, this will save you some email. What are you uh, on Myers-Briggs? Do you know that offhand? Oh, I do. I am an I-N-T-J. Called it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) I like to think Jesus was as well, but. Uh, But are you accurate in that? You don't know. Uh, I can build a case for Jesus being an introvert. I mean, who else can sleep below in a, in a boat while there's a party going on upstairs other than an introvert? True. That's me these days. And I could definitely sleep in, in that situation. Uh, you mentioned something really interesting that I don't want to gloss over, Rusty. You talked about uh, church leaders hiding. Right. You want to go there? What? Why does yeah. that happen? What do you mean? What does that look like? Because that really resonated. Yeah, I think about my own story, and th- there comes this point where you're dealing with pain. You don't know what to do with it. And you think, I shouldn't be dealing with this. I just preached a message on reconciliation or forgiveness or anxiety. I should have that figured out in my life. But yet all the while, I'm holding a grudge against somebody who betrayed me, against a family who left our church, against someone on staff who I know is sowing seeds of discord. Um, And there's a part of me that doesn't want to handle it. So it's so much easier to go internal because in my mind, I can control everything. And it really is an issue of control. And so the idea of us opening up to other people, well, they may not receive it. They may not respond the way we want them to. They may take my words out of context. They may add it as fuel to their fire. Um, and I, I think for me personally, I would just want to stay away from that. And I would just avoid it. And I think early on, I, I learned this when I, I first moved out to California and we're, we're working at this new church and things are going really good. And, and we really believed in community. I had just read that the book that I, was transformational for me by Randy Frazee, The Connecting mm-hmm. Church. And I thought, when we get to California, that's the kind of church we're going to build. And so we dove in deep with our neighbors and building friendships. And there was a couple around the corner we got very close to and they were going to our church and you know, their daughter would babysit our daughter and uh, we would go to games together and hang out. And somewhere along the line, he took me to lunch and said, yeah, we're leaving the church. And I said, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking this is going to be my best friend, my community I'm looking for. And he sees this as just, uh, yeah, church isn't meeting our needs anymore. So we're out of here. Oh. Uh, in fact, he even got a little bit more personal than that. He said, I just basically don't like your style of teaching. So um, I thought, well, tell me how you really feel. You know? <laughs> this, is, this is like a guy who's around your dinner table. Oh, exactly. 
So, and you know, and they walk away thinking we'll all still be friends. And I'm, I'm just kind of stung by this. And it really sent me into this don't trust anyone kind of mentality. You know, watch your back because just because you think you've developed community with somebody, they don't necessarily reciprocate. And I think that's what pushes a lot of us leaders into isolation. Oh, man. I mean, we were talking about books before we jumped on, but my book, which comes out in September, didn't see it coming. I've got the identical story that happened to me in that book, you know, Mm -hmm. where people who are really, really close, I mean, you're sharing a dinner table, vacations, the whole deal. And it's like, yeah, we're not going to the church anymore. And you're a bad leader. And it's like, what? What? And, And literally, Rusty, for the next basically year, I'm trying to convince my wife, this extrovert, I don't need any friends. I, do, I right. can do this alone. And that's, why do you think, I mean, there's, there's a book that came out years ago called Leadership and Self-Deception. Mm-hmm. And why do you think, as leaders, we try to convince ourselves of that? I think we all try to play to what our easiest reality is. Mm. And if it's easier to be alone... Let me build a case for it. If it's easier for it just to be me and my family, well, then let me act like that is my community. Right. If it's easier for me to just be in community with my senior leadership team, then it's us against the staff. And we build a case for it. And in the end, it doesn't necessarily mean we're right. It just means we have some facts to support our theory. Uh, And I think for us leaders, it, it really is this issue of, I deal with so much that's out of my control. Let me deal with something that I can control. And the smaller our circle gets, the more easily it is for me to control it, which makes us just run for uh, reasons to believe that to be true and just add that to our, our list of facts. I think you're describing the journey of so many leaders. I mean, everything you've talked about is definitely stuff that I've had to wrestle down as a leader. So I hear a few things. I hear control. I hear trust. I hear isolation. Mm. Um, do you think that's a, that those, those are issues for most of the leaders that you work with? Everyone that I know, uh, the, the, the extroverted carefree leaders that I see out there, they have, they may not have a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. They may be a figurehead. They may be the, you know, the, the champion for the vision, but they don't have to deal with the day to day. They don't feel the sting. They just get to deal with the success stories. And so for many of us who have to deal with a lot of the day to day, then it becomes very painful, especially if you have, you know, staff that leave uh, because there's this game in your mind of, Okay, I won't trust anybody in the church. I'll just trust my staff. Oh, guess what? They just left. <laughs> yeah, they uh, just left too, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or they betrayed you in some way. Um, and so the circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think control is a big deal of it because you've, you've felt pain. You don't want to feel that again. So how do I minimize that? Um, and that's just, that's just our human nature. Uh, I read a book several years ago called Leadership Pain by Samuel Chand, which, yeah. man, that was wind in my sails. And he made a comment in there that I thought was really interesting. He said, when I go and speak at other churches or speak to church leaders, 
what I say to them is, I may have never visited your church, and I may never visit your church, but I can tell you one thing that's true about every one of your churches. 10% of your people are devils. And, and you think about that, the amount of people that give you grief, it's about 10% oh, yeah. of organization. And you think that they're going to get over it, or you think you're going to fix them. I mean, I, I think about that couple that that I mentioned that left me, some of their criticism, I tried to fix, I tried to hire people to meet their needs. None of it worked. It wasn't ever going to be solved. And I think the quicker we realize there's just some stuff out of our control we can never fix, I'm going to do what I can with what God has given me to do, then we're on the road to some kind of recovery. Well, and on that note, I mean, you just described almost every leader's experience, and I think if it's not their experience, it's like, well, give it a few years. You know, you'll you'll run into that place. How did, first of all, what did that season do to you? And then secondly, how did you get through it? Yeah, I, what it did to me was it caused me to, to rethink a, a lot of things, how I was taking care of myself what was wrong with me. Um, and so what I did was I focused so much on myself. Here's another where, another place where we confuse ourselves as leaders. I tell everybody, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. But then when it came to my own personal pain, I thought, you know what? It is all about me. And <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me get really self-consumed for a while because the ends will justify the means. So I, I, I went to a, um, a gym. I hired a trainer. I went to, and got a physical, even went to a chiropractor, the dentist. I did everything possible physically to, to take care of myself. And then I went and saw a psychiatrist. I um, talked to a counselor. I uh, had an exercise regimen. I, I tried to do everything I possibly could for me and then I basically woke up one day and realized I am utterly alone. I've done all this self-discovery. We talked about the Myers-Briggs. I did a yeah. series of all these um, you know, personality tests. Did you know there's like 2,500 personality tests out there? Are you kidding me? I thought wow. there was maybe 10. I mean, the amount of self-discovery we can do is endless. And all it did was try to make sense of who I was, but it didn't fix anything. And so in the middle of all my self-loathing, I have hmm. I have uh, breakfast with another pastor that's several years older than me and is just a valuable, valuable voice in my life. And I started telling him some of my misery and some people that left the church and hurt my feelings and all that. And he launches into a story about lifelong family friends, uh, an elder in his church. Uh, they vacationed together, spent time together. And he would be vulnerable with them and share, you know, uh, critiques about the church or even complaints. It was that safe place for him. And one day they turned on him and used all that against him and left the church as a result of it. And I said, wow, how did you deal with that? And he said, well, obviously it was very difficult. It was very hard. And then he said this, but if all that happened, so I could share that story with a pastor like you and it encourages them, then it was worth it. Man. I thought, wow, talk about taking one for the team. I mean, that <laughs> was that was big. And oddly enough, it did encourage me. 
I knew I wasn't alone. And so I followed it up with, you know, when these negative things happen, isn't it interesting that when one complaint comes in, it's like, here come 10 more. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, it's not that it's cyclical. It's not that, you know, it just comes around once in a while. He said, it's a lot like when you buy a a red Toyota Prius. He said, before you bought that, you never noticed a red Toyota Prius, but now you see them everywhere. And he said, the thing about negative comments in the church and in your leadership is they're always there. It's just when you tune into them, then you hear all of them. And that little moment of our lunch was so powerful for me. And I, it, it reminded me, I would have never had that through a personality test or self-discovery. Mm-hmm. That was community. Hmm. And so was that the beginning then for you going, hmm, maybe I need it? Yeah, it was. And so then I began the investigation of, all right, I need people. I, it's not enough just to say I'm an introvert and so forget it. Right. I got I to gotta find some people and I got to pour into them and I got to let them pour into me. And I had a conversation with a guy that's helped a lot of leaders, um, a counselor by the name of Dr. John Walker. Oh, um, Yeah. I've heard great things. Is that Blessings Ranch? Blessings Ranch, absolutely. He's done so much for so many. We had a long conversation about this idea. And he really helped me understand the difference between trust and entrust. And he said, there's that great line where John is talking about Jesus. And he says, but he would not entrust his heart to men because he knew the hearts of men. And you begin to look at Jesus' life, and he would trust people with ministry, with mission, with miracles, with his time, but he would only entrust his heart, self-worth, mission in his own life to the Father. Wow. And I, that was like an aha moment of maybe the problem I've had with people in the past is I have entrusted too much of my worth, too much of my validity, too much of my ministry to somebody's opinion rather than just trust them with elements of leadership that they either take or don't take. And when I began to separate those out a little bit, again, all stuff I would teach to people, but never apply to myself, I began to figure out, okay, only God has my heart. He's the only one that determines my value and what I'm worth. But other people, they can have my time. They can have my my interests. They can have my assistance. And they can have part of this ministry. And when I found someone to trust, but not entrust, that was a big turning point. I've never heard that distinction before. And Isn't that like great? And everything man. he said, brilliant. But that one changed me for my whole life is like flashing before my eyes as you speak. <laughs> there, <laughs> I start calling you Doctor George. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is this is. I don't know. Do you have a doctorate or not? I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at no. all. Well, today you're Doctor George. Okay, I appreciate. Rusty. Um, that is, that is so rich. So uh, how, uh, how has that served you in the ensuing years? Well, i tell you what it did for me. My wife knew long before I did what my problem was. <laughs> of course they always and, do. Yeah. And you know what? She's an introvert too. So we're both content to come home, close the garage doors, close the blinds, sit on the couch, watch TV and think this is community. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but obviously we need more. So a few years ago, uh, we met a couple that we just clicked with, and they're not on staff at the church. They go to the church. They have kids our kids' age, and I just credit her so much because she's an introvert, and this is not like her to think this way. 
She just said, we're going to have them over for dinner. I said, fine. So we had them over for dinner. And then she said, we're going to have them over next Friday too. I said, no, wait, wait a second here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when the introvert is like, whoa, I had my phone. What, about, right. what about next year? Come on. <laughs> That's yeah. too much. I mean, let's spread this out a little bit. And she said, no, if we're going to have friends, we're going to make the effort to invest in them and not wait, them to come, wait for them to come to us. I said, okay. So we had them over the next Friday. Then they had us over the next Friday. Then we had them over the next Friday. And this began this ongoing process of every Friday we'd hang out together. And I think what happened was every time we're together, I'm learning, can I trust you? Mm. And, you know, and that's, you don't do that strategically. You just do that instinctively. And I'm talking to uh, this couple and I'm sharing a little bit about my life. And, and, you know, there's that kind of that dance of how much do I share about church work and do they want, do they even want to hear about it or do they want to hear about it too much? And I want to know about their life and how can we serve you? And, and I think every Friday we got together, the walls came down a little bit more to the point where they became that family for us, like you and Reggie write about in Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, yeah. where they're a voice in my kid's life that's just as loud as our voice. Mm -hmm. And we're a voice in their kid's life that's just as loud as their voice. We go on vacation together. We spend Fridays together. We've walked through dark days together, um, the death of my father, uh, just all this kind of stuff together. What I discovered was it's the consistency that precedes the community. And just being able to kind of put in rhythm the time together, because if you expect community to happen day one, that sets all kinds of people up for, for expectations they can't live up to. Yeah. And I think we all eased into this and it worked out great. Do you still do like a weekly thing or it's we more? Do. Really? Every Friday? We, in fact, we were just texting today about, you know, we're in California, so we have to drive to find snow and maybe on President's Day, taking the kids out and finding snow for sledding. So, I mean, it is an ongoing life that we have with them that we didn't know before. And as an introvert, you don't need a ton of friends, but you do need a few. And, and this has been yep. this has been perfect. Now, how did you get over the worry that this would just repeat the past? Where Because you, you had that once or twice where you really built into somebody, and then it's like, right. oh, and by the way, we're leaving the church, and we don't like the way you preach either. Right. I think the in-trust and trust thing helped me out a lot. Mm. And so going into this friendship, I wasn't, wasn't basing my worth on how well they liked me. Uh, I wasn't judging my messages on how well they responded. They, they had no... Um, need to affirm me for my worth. Mm. Uh, I really, I really figure that out in a different way in understanding my relationship with Christ. So I think I took that weight off of them. And as I look back <sighs> at some of my friendships, whoa, 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 whoa! I, I, I'm, I'm cutting you off. What you said is so big there. Just I don't want people to miss it. You took that weight off of them. Yes, and that's that's what I, I was just kind of having this aha moment as I think back at some of my friendships. I think the reason they left is because I put too great a weight on them. Yeah. I didn't even know it. And, and I'm, I'm expecting their opinion or their um, involvement or their reacting the way I would expect them to react uh, to fix me. Uh, when all, all the while, the way we find fulfillment is to serve each other rather than just expect how you should serve me. 
And I don't know if they would have said that, these people that have bailed on me over my life, but I think that could have had a part, had a part of it. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is very, very real that it's not just, you know, it's our expectations of them and what mm -hmm. we want to get out of them. That trust and trust is just huge. Uh, keep right. going with what you wanted to say. Thanks for letting well, me. Well, and I, I think that's why so many couples divorce is they they walk into it with their expectations of what their spouse should mm -hmm. do for them, and that doesn't work out. So it's just unmet expectations, and so figuring that out takes the pressure off of them, turns my responsibility into serving somebody else rather than constantly judging how well you serve me. So trust and trust. Is it really saying that the only person you can entrust your heart, your identity, your life to is Christ? Like, where does your spouse, your kids, where does where does that play in? Or is it really it's only Jesus? Like, that's it. I would say it's only Jesus because here again it comes it comes back to that weight. Yeah. If I expect my spouse to love me unconditionally, no matter what I do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you say it that way, um, it's rather it absurd, is isn't weight. it? Yeah. It's quite a weight for her to carry. And she's not always going to know what I need to hear. You know, I mean, how many times have we thought that about our spouse? Well, what I really need you to, to say is this. What I really yes. hope to come home to was this. And you didn't do it. And that's just so unfair. And so Christ is the only one that knows our true heart. He's the only one that knows exactly what we need. And so to entrust our value, our worth um, on him, then we see our spouse as an expression of God's love for us, of how he's met some of those needs and withheld the meaning of certain the meaning of certain needs because he knows we couldn't handle it. Yeah. And you see that even people will throw that kind of weight on their kids that they put oh, there yes. in, you know, you see that now. I mean, my wife deals with um, unhealthy marriages all day long in her practice. And, mm. you know, it's like, well, if things aren't going well here. It's just this poor little four-year-old, eight-year-old, newborn, 18-year-old, and a parent just dumps all of their emotional refuse and their identity and their self of worth on their kids. And their kids are like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't even ask to be born. I mean, that's what right. you're driving at, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You certainly see that in the sports culture where you have a lot of dads living vicariously through their son, you know, who doesn't even want to play anymore, but he wants them to. Or you see moms do that with their daughters because they want a best friend. Um, and so, yeah, they can be friends, but putting that weight of, oh, you're supposed to be my confidant on your 14-year-old, that's that's too much. Hmm. No, that's uh, that's mind-bending and so helpful. What, um, what difference has that made in your marriage, that reconstruction? Well, I mean, we talk about it a lot. Yeah. And so I think that knowing that my wife knows what I've lived through, and she's felt it as well because she was close to some of these families too. Um, it really has made us process, all right, how do we have community where we trust, but we don't hand over the keys to our heart? And she knows that based on my disc profile, <laughs> <laughs> I am very, very drawn to people with influence. Oh. And they, I find them fascinating. I find I learn from them. Um, as a church leader, I know they can benefit the cause of what we're doing. 
Um, but she will often caution me. Why are you calling them back? Why is their opinion so important? Would you do that for somebody that didn't have that job or that role or that status? Uh, and it, it really kind of gets at, all right, what's the inner demon inside of me that I'm trying to satisfy? Uh, and she kind of steers me back towards that. And I know her tendencies and weaknesses, and I'll steer her back to center as well. But I think that all comes from openness and honest, honesty with each other. Well, you're probably not alone in that. And I mean, social media has just made access so much easier, Rusty. Why do you think? Uh, I mean, and I, I would say that's not atypical for a lot of leaders to, you know, the old phrase was social climbers or, you know, you're trying, everybody imagines, wow, I'm going to get, you know, access to X, Y, Z, my, you know, this incredible person. But we do have a pecking order. What, what is that? Are we entrusting our identity to those people? Like how, what, what drives that in a lot of leaders? I think some of us are just wired up for that. If you're a high I on the disc profile, uh, you want to be an influencer. And so you gravitate towards other influencers uh, and you try to, um, to advance whatever it is you're doing. And I think that's what makes some people great salesmen. It makes some people very successful in relationships as far as networking. Um, but I think with all things, there's a blessing and a curse to it. Uh, if you take the, the, uh, the dominance of the high D in the disc profile, and that person gets a lot of stuff done, but they also run over a lot of people too. Yeah. So I think it, it, it certainly depends on your personality and understanding that. And that's where I, I, I kind of come at in the book of self-discovery isn't bad if that's not the end of it. All this assessment that I did is valuable if I use it to recognize how I need other people that fill in the gaps. It's not enough for me just to say I'm an introvert. If I'm an introvert, then I know I need some extroverts around me to help me dream big and not be so cautious. Um, if, I'm an, if I'm a high D on the disc profile, that simply means I need some other people that fill out the rest of the disc profile because they balance me and keep me from running over my staff. So self-discovery is good because we can bring it to community and see how we could serve one another, and they can serve us too. How do you think, uh, for church leaders, community can or should function in the church? And I mean, we kind of touched on this at the meta level, but like, there are a lot of people who say, well, you can't really have friends in the church, or you can't really be friends with your staff, or um, all that. What's your take on that, Rusty? Yeah, I've, I've believed all those things before. I'll tell you a couple things. One, it is difficult with staff because there are certain things about the office you cannot share with everybody. Mm -hmm. And so you tend to just only be friends with people that are at your level or direct reports. But even that doesn't always work. I would say you know who, who you can benefit and who can benefit you, who sharpens the iron, so to speak. Um, and, and it's okay to bring those people into your life. And it's okay that it's not always fair. You're gonna have some people on staff that you just, you connect with better than others and people will look at you and go, well, how come you spend all your time with them and not with me? Um, that's just a personal thing. You know, uh, it, it's, it's not a, a business decision. You have structured meetings to hang out with other direct reports. But when it comes to friendship, you know, who's gonna be in your golf cart? Um, that's okay to have those people. As far as other people in the church, I think you just have to make, you know, a, a careful decision. Uh, I heard from a pastor not long ago, he quickly weeds out the people that really want to be friends with him. 
How, how does he do that? Say more. <laughs> well, it, the more aggressive they are to spending time with them, the, more, the less likely he is to actually spend time with them because they're often kind of gravitating towards his position or his authority or because they need something from him. And he said, I'll serve them. I'll help them. But they're not making it in the inner circle. So I think you have to kind of look through that and figure out what somebody's intentions. Is this a safe place? And in doing so, um, you kind of start building your core group. This is who, who I am. Um, I often talk about uh, <clears throat> the three voices that I try to listen to, uh, and they're alliterated, so it will help. Uh, but leaders, because there's a difference between a disciple and a leader. We're all called to be disciples. We're not all called to be leaders. It's a difference between being in the gym class versus joining the basketball team. And I give total credit to Larry Osborne for this idea. But I want to spend my time with leaders because that's what I'm all about. That's what I want to advance. And so if somebody is, is invested in the mission, they'll serve wherever. They volunteer. They're passionate about what we're doing. They tend to get more of my time. I listen to those voices rather than the person that just shows up on Sunday and then critiques everything. The other one is the lost. You know, in our, in our world, we talk a lot about people far from God. I listen to those voices because what they say matters to me because I'm trying to help connect them and bring down the barriers at our church between them and God. But the third one, again, from Larry Osborne, is the Legos. Here's what I mean by that. Larry talks about how we're all like Legos and we only have so many connecting points. Some of us are the, the two-pronged Lego. Some of us are the eight-pronged Lego. Some of us are like the big green sheet. <laughs> we can take <laughs> yeah. a lot of connection. <laughs> about the big but, green sheet. Yeah, but for me, it's only a few. And know your limits. I can't be in every social setting. I can't be in every small group. Um, there's only a few uh, connection points I have. So know what that is and stick to it. Uh, what would you say, because I'm sure you've had this, I mean, you lead a very large church, but um, how have you navigated, what would your advice be for pastors, particularly in a small church, who get that, hey, how come you're having dinner every Friday night with X and you're not having it with Y? Or, you know, you have four staff, why are you not treating them all the same? What, mm -hmm. how do you respond to that? Well, I think you can you can balance work and, and, and personal you can decide, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I have set aside X number of lunches and your assistant or even, you know, somebody you trust can set up your calendar. So really your assistant becomes, well, uh, my assistant's the one that schedules all of that. Uh, and so you have blocks of time to have relational time with people on staff, but that doesn't mean they have to dictate your Friday nights. They don't have to dictate, you know, your vacations and who you spend time with. That's that's entirely different, and that's where you can blame it on your spouse if you need to. Right, and so even for a small church, you might say, uh, well, you know, if you have something that you want to meet over, we can try to make that happen. I, we can grab exactly. a, a coffee, yeah, I or so. I can go to your house, or you can come to my office, so you kind of right. divert that way. But yeah, and I, I think healthy people would get this idea that, you know, you've got an end to that. What are some other reasons Christians might avoid community? Well, I think the biggest one, and they don't even know that they're doing this. I think the thing that hurts community the most in the church is church shopping. Hmm. 
and and this this constant hopping around trying to find the perfect place. I, I tell a story in the book about going into McDonald's with my daughter one time, and, and we chose McDonald's because it had Diet Coke, um, it had ice cream for her, you know, it had a playground. So we go in there one day, and she starts waving at a little friend across McDonald's, and we go over there, and it's uh, this friend that she's in school with and this friend's mom. And so we start talking and she says, oh, I've been to your church. Like, oh, well, great. And she said, we're still shopping around trying to find the perfect church. And I thought, you don't realize that's insulting, but maybe we had a guest speaker that day, you know? <laughs> so I, I just kind of blew it off, but I thought about it. And, and she's, she's looking for a church the way we chose McDonald's that day based on a set criteria. And what's funny is everybody's criteria is different and it's so lengthy of what they want. And then it changes as they grow or as their kids get older or their stage in life. And what I learned from my parents growing up was we we picked one church and we did not leave. And and our church went through some horrific things. Pastors running away with money, with with women, with all kinds of just crazy things that happened. And they didn't leave. They stayed there. They volunteered. They served. And as a result, I built some really good friendships in that church, and they did too, because we didn't leave. What I would tell Christians is, you know, the church is, is not, it's not perfect, but that's why we're all welcome. And no model is going to meet your every need. Yeah, if there's heresy being taught, get out of there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, but You've got to dive in and make it your home because that's the only way you're going to find community. If you just keep jumping from place to place, you're, you're never going to find community. And so for every pastor yeah. out there, I wrote this book uh, with the original title, Stop Going to Church and Be the Church, because I really wanted people to see the, the fault in our society with this church shopping idea, because all it's so me-centered and so countercultural yeah. uh, to what Christ is all about. And the way you grow the most is when you serve the most. So uh, for pastors out there hoping to help their people understand that, let me take the hit on that, and I'll share my stories in the book for you. Yeah, that's good. So let, let you be the bad guy, right? That's right. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about pastors, Rusty. Um, you know, a lot of people say, okay, I thought you've provided a lot of clarity on, yes, you can have authentic friendships, but... There must be stuff, even with your Friday night friends, that you're like, you know what, that's a personnel issue. I can't really yep. talk about it with that person. There's got to be that stuff. Um, often relationships with other clergy, with other pastors, even in the same town, different church, different flavor, um, sometimes those get clouded with rivalry or jealousy or like, oh, you know, too many people are going from your church to my church or my church to your church. Um, any thoughts, observations, tips for pastors who are struggling to connect with other pastors? I get hit up all the time, uh, and people are asking me, you know, where do I find a mentor? I'm like, the guy down the road that will buy you coffee. Like, just start there. But people don't like that advice. What would you say for that? Well, I think you're right. I, I think that it's going to take some time to figure out who's got their mental junk together that where they're strong enough to handle that conversation. I've tried that with a few pastors in our community and some did not work out because they felt threatened or they thought we were rivals. I didn't, but that's okay. Uh, I would typically look for somebody that's older than you because they tend to be wiser 
and they tend to be a little bit more, have a little bit more perspective and, and not see you so threatening. Um, and I, I would, I would develop a network of pastor friends. Another reason I really love the North Point partnership where you can share with people that maybe in different towns, different cities, different states, in our case, different countries yeah. and, and kind of vent. You need that, you know, you need that Sunday afternoon person you can call for five minutes and say, you won't believe the horrific thing I said from the stage this weekend. And they can laugh with you and they can say, it's okay. People will come back. Let me tell you what I said this weekend. You know, right. who's that Sunday afternoon drive home friend? Um, and, and it may take a while, but in you being that to somebody, you may earn that trust from them because maybe they've never had it either. Yeah, I would say that's been the most remarkable thing about both the North Point community and the Orange community that I'm privileged to be a part of is, you know, in a dysfunctional community, when people, you know, when good things happen, people are jealous and they get nasty. And when bad things happen, sometimes people gloat. And uh, that is not true. The The emotional health of both communities is actually v very, very high to the point where something mm -hmm. doesn't work out well at real life church for Rusty, like we're sad for you. And mm -hmm. if things are going well, you know, you've got triple digit growth and we don't, or we have double digit or whatever, like we're still high-fiving each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find that rare in the church, which is really weird. It shouldn't be rare. And that that's true of Orange as well. Very, very true of that whole tribe and that whole community. Right. I would agree. And I've noticed that with the North Point community, because typically when you go and be part of something where the organization that's hosting it is so much larger than everyone else. Yeah. It becomes a, okay, I'll show up and you teach me everything you know. They are as much interested in learning from us as we are from them. And they are very open in exp explaining the things they've done wrong and made mistakes with and where they're confused. And I just love that. It really does feel like a team sport. Well, and I think you made a really good point too, Rusty, that if you don't have that, why don't you be that? Like maybe it starts that way. And if you've got no modeling uh, and you've also got the Internet, which is incredible because uh, via Zoom or Skype or, you know, FaceTime, you can connect with a lot of people uh, pretty quickly. Um, you have a chapter on how perfectionists can find peace <laughs> with other believers. I mean, maybe that's somehow behind the church shopping thing, right? I'm going to go till I find the perfect community. Good luck with that. Um but, you know, it's easy to find flaws in people. It's easy to say, well, I, I can't really have friends because of, here's my list. What, tell us about that. Yeah, I think for all of us who've been burned, we have a short list of the kind of person we're looking for. Oftentimes, many people can't fit that. So we just say, well, I'm better off alone. The perfectionist side of us desperately needs people. And, and here's why. Because one of the reasons we're perfectionists is because we're living for the, uh, the jury that's in our mind. And we're constantly mm. letting them tell us when that's good enough and it's never good enough. For some of us, we're living for a dad who died years ago, but he never gave us the attaboy that we needed. Or maybe it's a boss that fired us or a girlfriend that broke up with us. Having mm. other people in your life, they're able to speak truth into your life and tell you, you know what? It is good enough you know what? You did a good job. Let it go. Go home. It's fine. Uh, and you begin to give yourself a little bit of an out, not based upon you, you know, talking back to the demons in your mind, but somebody else has given you permission for that. 
And you need to have some people around that just speak some reality into you. I know for some of the pastor friends that I have, for me to call them up and say, let me tell you what happened. I have a feeling no one's ever coming back to church again. And they laugh with me and, and speak some sense into me and tell me it's going to be OK. Uh, these things have happened before. <laughs> the church has happened again <laughs> and it will happen again. Right. And just gives a little bit of, of brevity, clarity uh, uh, and levity to the whole situation. Any other tips for us on community or how you've seen it play out? I think you've spoken to a lot of people today. Well, yeah. And I would tell you back to the whole rivalry thing. And, and building relationships with people and quieting the own, your own demons in your mind. Um, I have found three things to be very, very helpful. The first thing is, is randomly take a social media fast. Mm. Um, obviously, you and I are, are big proponents of it, and we do a lot of stuff online. It's a great way to minister to people, but it's also a great way to constantly see how, uh, how much you're failing. Because you see everybody <laughs> yes. else's you know, wins and you know, you might have baptized three people and they baptized, you know, 300 hashtag Pentecost, you know, it's just <laughs> it's this constant thing. And I would say take two or three days off every now and then take the weekend off, whatever it is, and let your mind recenter on reality uh, rather than everybody else's posts and whether they liked your picture or your comment or what. The other thing is, is a gratitude journal. Um, I, I know we all keep prayer journals, but those are often just prayer requests. I, and we're very good at pointing out how good God has been to other people, but not to ourselves. So writing that stuff down just kind of, you know, takes that power away. And the last thing is just to celebrate people. Uh, I will try uh, to celebrate other wins of other pastors locally and, and around the country uh, because it really does take that jealousy away. Um, and I think Andy writes about that. And it came from within, you know, breaking the power of jealousy, a celebration. And I've seen that happen over and over again in my life. Whoever I thought was a rival, they didn't know. If I celebrate them, that power goes away. You're beginning to prove to somebody that you're worthy of community uh, because they may not be so trusting of you. Uh, I have a, a pastor friend in our valley who he just always is celebrating real life online. And yet he's got another church. And after a while of doing this, we started having lunch together and I began to realize he actually believes it and he's wow. really in this to be in a relationship. Well, how much easier was it for me then to open up my heart to him and celebrate him in any way that I can? It's just, it's a great way to build bridges. Mm, that's good. And you know, that really does defeat the spirit of jealousy. Yeah. Andy's teaching in that it was in it came from within, which I think circulates these days as enemy of the heart. Uh, just right. a great book. And if you really deep Google it, I don't know, maybe we'll be able to find these for the show notes or not. He did mm -hmm. a series of podcasts on these uh, like 10 years ago when podcasting was new that uh, it's somewhere out there. We need a real deep Googler to find that. But uh, that's really good. Rusty, man, you've really helped a lot of leaders Tell us about the book, where they can find it, and where they can find you. Yeah, the, the book is called Better Together, and my goal is to help pastors convince their people to get into community, but also convince the pastor as well. <laughs> and so I really wanted to give this uh, as we a We spend resource. all the time on the pastor, but I think if you've got the pastor, you'll get the church. If That's you don't right. get the pastor, you're never going to get the church. Well, actually, they'll so, just outlead you in that. 
if they will go to, there's a website for it called bettertogetherstudy.com. And what we've provided there for you is you can, first of all, get the book cheaper and get it for 10 bucks. You can sell it for whatever you want. I don't care. Uh, But we're also going to give you uh, free resources that come with it. You get uh, sermons that I've already written for you. You can take, use them. It's all yours. The first one I've even made a video for if you just want to show that some weekend and take the weekend off, no problem. There's small group questions and there's small group videos to start the discussion that you can just show right there in your groups. Uh, so just go to bettertogetherstudy.com and you can get all of that right there. And that's specifically for pastors. If you have somebody that just wants to pick up a copy of the book and doesn't need all the resources or you want to know more about that or anything else I'm up to and writing about, uh, pastorrustygeorge.com is where you'll find all of those things. Uh, Rusty, this has been so rich. Thank you so, so much. Appreciate you a lot and your friendship. Thank you, Carrie. It's just been a tremendous honor. So grateful for all that you do. It's the highlight of my week listening to your podcast. And uh, so thanks for the opportunity. Well, that was so rich. Rusty, thanks so much for those insights. Man, I really hope that helps you. And uh, I just want you to know, as this episode releases and as as we prepared it, I'm praying for you, okay? Wherever you happen to be, whatever you happen to be doing, I know this is the real stuff. You can you can find more in the show notes as well. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 189. And hey, if you've listened this far, and I know a lot of you have, um, there's a little more at the end. Rusty and I came back and he's like, oh, I got a little bit more. I'm like, okay, we'll do the interview after the interview. So wait, wait until the closing music, okay? In the meantime, I'm going to tell you about next week. I am very excited to have Nick Vojcic here. And you probably know him. He's uh, one of the most interviewed people alive today. Uh, has been interviewed by the likes of Oprah Winfrey and so many more. And uh, he was born without limbs. He, he, you know, his whole organization, he talks about that. And when I got an opportunity to talk to Nick, I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask him the questions nobody asks him about. And uh, we had a lot of fun on the interview, and I want you to listen in. Here's an excerpt. But internationally, Kerry, you ask me internationally. Pray for Russia. Mm. I don't think Russia is closed. It looks like it's starting to open. India. You watch that country shake in seven years' time from now because they're going to be grappling with the outcast system with the new generation who's been now knowledgeable about value of people, whether they have arms and legs or not, and they're not outcasts. That is going to challenge their Hindu religion to the core, to the core of that country. Look out for, um, well, I'm going to say pray for Latin America and pray for Africa. Because unfortunately, if you actually talk to anybody there, 90% of them would agree with me that the most debilitating disease the African and Latin American church experienced and are dying under is the prosperity gospel. Hmm. And if you ask them, what is the one thing, one thing that is thriving? And they'll say, when the church realizes it's not about them and they meet the needs of the people. That is coming up next week. I'm so excited to have Nick Vojcich also coming down the pipe. We have Christine Kane. We have got Daniel Pink. 
uh, Max Lucado, Nancy Duarte, Brian Carter, uh, my good friend Kevin Jennings on marketing. You're going to love. Mark Clark is back. So many more. Um, it's going to be an amazing year. If you haven't subscribed yet, do it. If this is helping you, thank you so much for the ratings and reviews and sharing it with your friends. Uh, I love Stock218, who wrote recently in a review. He says, Carrie's wisdom has helped me understand so many things about church, culture, change, and leadership. I can't believe it's free. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm so glad that it's free and it always will be to you. And I want to thank our partners like Belay Solution who make it free for you so that we can do this. Uh, and thanks for supporting them. You know, Trained Up has been a, a longtime partner on this podcast. And when you guys support them, you support this. And I want to thank you. Jay Brown 3429 says, as a small business owner and worship pastor in my community, this podcast has been an invaluable resource. Highly recommend this podcast. Share episodes regularly with my friends. Um, another guy says, I'm a better leader and minister due to the resources and topics this podcast has given me. Every leader, whether in the church or world, must listen to this podcast. Thank you, Carrie, for investing in leaders. Hey, it is my privilege, man. People have invested in me. It's it's a joy to bring you these conversations. And it's just so much fun, you know, over the last three or four years, being able to do this, it will be four years in, in September. Can you believe that, uh, that we launched this thing? Um, my dream of like just bringing the backroom conversations to you has been realized, and it's so fun to be able to do it. And uh, hey, before we uh, sign off, remember the interview after the interview? Um, so Rusty as, and I, as we were about to hang up, said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, this is that, hey, wait a minute, hey, wait a minute, hey, wait a minute. And then uh, I'm going to let you listen to this, and uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. All right. We're going to do something we've never, ever done on the podcast before. We're going to do the interview after the interview. All right. So for those of you who listen to the very end, Welcome back for the third time to the podcast, Rusty George. Hey, Rusty. Hey, Gary. All this right. So we're, we're going to put this right at the end because there's like five people who listen to the very end all the time. Um, listen, uh, actually a lot more according to Apple Podcasts, but uh, you, you shared a couple of things when we hung up that were really cool. So talk to us about them. Well, I've just been, I've been noticing how we're all beginning to figure out how lonely we are. Um, James Emery White, who's been a guest of yours, uh, is a phenomenal author and communicator. He has a blog called Church and Culture, which I highly recommend. But one of his most recent blogs was simply called Sex and Robots. And he starts talking about with the AI thing coming around, the robots coming about, that there is a growing interest in this field. And there are actually coffee shops which provide this in England. Um, which also leads to this. The UK has recently appointed a minister of loneliness on, I would assume that's their cabinet or however they say that, but it, it would be um, somebody to try to figure out how to make their country less lonely because they took a survey and they found out 9 million people are, are saying that they're lonely. So you think about all those things coming about, we have this huge need for people we're surrounded by people. We just don't know how to connect. Part of the reason I wrote the book was not just to tell people to be better together, but to show them how. Yeah, you know, and that is a real thing. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know any easy way to say it, but, um, you know, I was researching sermon stuff and came across the whole AI sex robot thing. I know you're laughing. I'm laughing. Yes, it's research. Researching. Research. <laughs> Nobody believes you. 
Um, <laughs> but that is creepy when you start looking into it and then the ethics of it. I mean, right. um, I mean, not just theological ethics, but like, you know, for right. sex crimes and that kind of stuff, it's just bizarre. But there is this direct correlation between hyperconnectedness online and deep personal loneliness in real life. Glad we had it. Well, now you got the interview after the interview. <laughs> That's right. One more time for the website uh, for the book. What is it? It's a bettertogetherstudy.com? Bettertogetherstudy.com or go to pastorrustygeorge.com. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.